0: But if this is your first time with us, or first time in a while, I said at the beginning of our gathering that we are now in our second mini-series through the book of Acts. We're going to be journeying through the book of Acts for a long time, uh, but we are going to break coming up as we get close to Christmas for the Advent season. Y'all, Christmas is like four months away. It's crazy. Uh, But we will break right at the beginning of December uh, for Advent But until then, we are going through this study of the book of Acts, and we finished our first mini-series last week, Faith on Fire, and we looked at the the beginnings of the early church after Jesus has told them that the Holy Spirit will come upon them. We saw then that the Holy Spirit did come upon them. We saw then uh, how they are so devoted to certain things. We talked about that last week, the devotion of the followers and the different things that they were devoted to. And now we're moving into chapter three, and for the next eight to nine weeks, we are going to be going through this series, Faith empowered because we're going to see how the Holy Spirit has empowered them for the work. But this first thing that we see today, we see an incredible act of God happen in chapter 3, and it's all because of the powerful name of Jesus. So that's why I've entitled today's sermon, The Powerful Name of Jesus. In today's account, we're going to see this man who has been lame from birth, and he's going to encounter something life-transforming, and it's because of something that Peter says regarding the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as you know, we stand to honor together the reading of God's Word, so let's stand together as we read these first 10 verses from chapter 3, Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. And the Word of the Lord says, But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people of the temple saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. We thank you, Lord, that you have loved us enough to send our Savior Jesus to die for us. We thank you, Lord, that we can have sweet times of worship gathered with the saints to proclaim the glorious news of the gospel. And Lord, now as we gather to proclaim your word, I pray that you would be glorified during this time. Lord, that all distractions would fade away. Lord, that we would hear from you today. Father, I pray that you would get me out of the way. Lord, that you would speak. Lord, that you would move in this time. May you increase, may we decrease. We honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and have a seat. In this passage, we see today the power of Jesus' name is life changing and it ushers a response. So I have just two points for you today. And some of you are like, Praise the Lord! Only two points. But buckle up, <laughs> we'll be here for a minute. But the first point is this, the power of Jesus' name is life-changing. The power of Jesus' name is life-changing. Verse 1 again, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. We see here that Peter and John, they're continuing to be observant uh, Jews that are, who are attending the services of worship in the Jerusalem temple. They hadn't uh, had any other thing to do. Like, as we saw last week, day by day, what were the believers doing? They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to worship. They were devoted to many things, devoted to one another. And day by day, they're going in for times of worship. Now, we see here that they went up at the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m. And at doing this, this was the time in the afternoon for the sacrifice, which was followed by prayer. You know what else is very significant about 3 p.m., about that ninth hour? If you recall back from the crucifixion account where Jesus gave up his life, it was about at that point where in John 19.30 he says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I'm not saying that that's a specific reason for that, but what I am saying is I just as I'm studying this text and I see that, it says the ninth hour, it just hit me like, wait a minute. At this account where the name of Jesus is proclaimed and someone is transformed in a sense by what happens to him, it's also at the same point around that same time where Jesus would cry out, it is finished. It is because of that work that what happened on the cross where it is finished that Jesus would give up his life and die for us, defeating sin and death through his resurrection. I just think that's so beautiful to see and point out. Now we talked in detail last week about the devotion to prayer that the early church had, that they, they lived by. And we see this example here. They're going there for this time of worship, for this time of prayer. Now look at verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. This man, he's carried by these people to the entrance of the temple. And it's this part of it that's known as the beautiful gate. Now, what is the beautiful gate? It references the beautiful gate or the, the Nicanor gate. It's described in some of Josephus' writings as, as 50 cubits high and 40 cubits wide. And it was overlaid with Corinthian bronze. It was such a work of art that it far exceeded in value those plated with silver set in gold. Like you hear that and you just have this image in your mind. You just picture this really just beautiful piece of work. That's why it was referred to as the beautiful gate. So he's there before it. and It left left me to ask a question. Why then was he laid there at the gate of the temple daily? We have to think. This is the beautiful gate. This is the part where people are continually walking through. There's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of people going in and out. And he would go there. He'd be carried there because he has this physical ailment. He's lame from birth. He's not able to get up and walk yet. He's not able to do those things. And so he's carried there and he's left there. And it's this place where he can go where so many people are passing by. So hopefully he can get something from them. He's there to ask of alms. He's there to beg of the people. And you might imagine if you picture that beautiful gate there in your mind, this beautiful thing there before you, and there's someone that is lame from birth that cannot walk, that is just sitting there by the gate door. You have this image, it's, it's pretty easy to, to not miss the person, is it not? So that's what his thinking is probably is, I'm going to go here, there's a lot of high traffic, there's no way people are going to miss me being here. And it says there that he asked of alms. And the giving of alms, as we know, It means his act of contributing money or goods to the poor, especially a flowing form from a disposition of kindness and compassion. You see, giving of alms in that day for the Jewish religion was a meritorious act. It was something that you did. It was something that that you should do. Now look at verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. This lame beggar, he's there and he's calling out and he's asking for alms and he's asking for a handout for this blessing of some kind to help him continue to function in life. Now can we stop for a moment and think about what we've read so far. This man has been lame his entire life. We know from other places in Scripture, specifically Acts 4.22, it says, For a man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks when we get to Acts 4, and we'll understand the context of why this is referencing this. But it's pointing back to this account right here, where this man, this lame man, it's telling us that he was 40 years old round and about. So for 40 years, this man has been lame. This man has not been able to walk. This man has continually over and over and over daily been carried to sit at the beautiful gate for hours upon hours just to ask for alms. Could you imagine this for your life? For some of us in this room or listening online, I, 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 make, I do not make light of this. Some of us have experienced a time in life where it was difficult for us to make ends meet, where it was difficult for us to figure out how are we going to pay the next bill that comes. We don't have a necessary and an, an overcoming of a paycheck money. There's nothing that's coming in that's going to make us be able to handle this. How can we do this? I want you to try to put yourself, if you, even if you haven't ever experienced that, in this man's shoes For a moment. Do you think the man felt helpless? Do you think the man just felt like there's no way that I can make it? There's no point to this life. All I have is the guarantee that every time somebody's going to come and they're going to carry me to the gate. And I'm going to do the same thing on the next day. You can imagine that he felt hopeless. You can imagine that there was nothing that he felt was going for him. It was almost, in a sense, like this rhythm that was constantly happening to him day by day. It was almost maybe a little bit therapeutic. He at least knew what was coming. But at the same time, it was detrimental because he was hopeless. He couldn't walk. He had no way to provide for himself. And so he had to go and ask for alms daily. The beauty is, as we've already read, and as we will it here in a minute, he finds hope on this faithful day. You see, by the time that this account is done, he is no longer hopeless. Because of the power of the name of Jesus. Verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said. Look at us. Peter and John hear him calling out. They see him there waiting for alms, asking for alms. And they set their gaze upon him. Now some of you may think, Brian, you're looking too much into the text by what you're about to say. But listen to this. There's something very profound to me reading through this about the looking upon this man. Something very, very profound Because they look the man in the eye. They see this man sitting here and they don't just pass by. Now, I am in no way trying to guilt anybody. Please don't take it that way. This is a conviction on my heart that I've had as I study this text. How many times have we driven by and seen somebody in need and we've thought the worst and we've just kept going? Well, Brian, I'm sure they're going to do it for this or do it for that. That's not the point. As Christ's followers, we're called to be generous people. If God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, makes it clear to you that you see somebody and they're in need, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. By the blessings that God has given you, help that person as best you can. Well, Brian, I don't want to give them money. If the sign that they're holding says, I'm in need of food, Go down the street to McDonald's or Chick-fil-A and buy them something and bring them the food back. I I don't say this to boast in myself at all. Please. There was one time I was driving by, I was leaving the the Best Buy shopping center on Rivers, and there was a person sitting there, and he says, I am starving, I just want food. And people would drive by and they would give some change out the window and all that. And I'm sitting there at Delight, and I'm like, he doesn't want money, he's just asking for food. And in that moment, the Lord is making it clear, go buy the man food. And so I just turned around and I went and bought him just a combo from Chick-fil-A. And I carried it to the man and I said, I saw your sign. I didn't have any extra change to give you, but I wanted to give you what you're asking for. And that was food. And tears welled up in the man's eyes. He said, that's all I need. In this moment, Peter and John make eye contact. They look upon this man that is there begging. And Peter says to him, look at us. You got to think about the man in this moment. Time and time again, people have probably just passed him by. Time and time again, maybe somebody, because it was a meritorious act and it was the right thing to do, somebody would have some change and they would give it to him, but they would just keep passing him by. In this moment, Peter and John look at an image bearer of God and they say, look at us. And verse 5 reads, And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. I bet he did. He's actually been addressed by the people. The first thing it says is that he fixed his attention on them. He fixes his attention on them, and he sees that Peter and John are looking directly at him. Eye contact. It isn't some mechanical type of charity that is happening repeatedly as people pass by. It says that he's expecting to receive something from them. He makes the eye contact there. He knows he's about to get something. Surely an alms is about to be given. He's begging for money, something of that sort, because that's what he thinks he needs. He is hopeless. He can't walk. He can't do anything but be carried to the gate day by day to beg for money. He's clueless that what he really needs is what Peter is about to give them, and that is Jesus. How many of the people that we know in our daily lives that are lost and separated from God truly need Jesus, yet they're clueless to the fact that they need Him. We know so many people in our lives that are separated from God that do not have the hope that we have, that have not been transformed by the power of the gospel and the resurrection of our Lord. They don't have a clue. We think they'll figure it out. Because they live in the Bible Belt. We think they'll figure it out. Surely, I go to church, surely they've heard of Jesus. We talked about this last September. And I'm sure, and I'm sorry I don't have updated numbers, I'm sure the numbers have gotten worse. But within a one-mile squared direction around this church, one mile from 4602 Durant Avenue, there's about 1,500-some-odd people And over a thousand of those people do not identify as a Christ follower. There are many people around us that are clueless that they need Jesus. And they need to hear somebody speak the words of life to them. And we carry those words of life. By God, the Lord lives inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse six, but Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We've reached the climax of the story. Here it is. Peter tells him, man, I cannot give you silver or gold because I don't have it to give you. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Peter commands the man to rise and walk in the name of Jesus. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. It's the name that the apostles did their signs and wonders that we just read about last week. This one's not on the screen, but in chapter two, verse 43, it says, And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The apostles are proclaiming the truth of the gospel. The church was devoted to the teachings of the apostles. And as we read at the very end last week, favor had come to the church. People were listening. They saw the way in which they lived. And many souls were being converted. People were coming to Christ because of what the apostles were modeling, what the church was modeling. And it's the same power that is used here in this moment. It's the name of Jesus by which we receive salvation, is it not? I referenced it in my prayer this morning. I referenced it a moment ago. It is because of that cross that Jesus died and defeated sin and death and resurrected on the third day by which you and I are saved because his precious blood poured out for us. He gave his life so that we may live. He died a death that Brian Eyre should have died. I deserve eternal wrath and separation from God, but God demonstrated his love for me that even when i was still a sinner christ jesus died for me the same is true for you put your name in the blank instead of brian christ jesus did this it is the name by which we are saved it is the name by which we cry out to our heavenly father it is why the reason we say at the end of our prayers in jesus name we pray amen It is because of what he has done that we can even communicate with the Father. It is because of what he has done that we don't need a mediator to stand between us and God. Thanks be to God that we can just cry out to our Father because of the name of Jesus and what he has done for us. Amen? Brian Vickers, in his commentary on the book of Acts, he says this, Invoking the name of Jesus Is not a magical incantation, but testifies to the source of the healing. The inclusion of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth confirms that the same Jesus, known to those living in Jerusalem and Judea and known to have been crucified, is still at work. You see, church, this is a testimony to the slain beggar. But it's also a testimony to anybody that was right there around. Why? Because those that are listening, they hear that this same Jesus that in their minds is dead and gone. That was killed on Calvary's cross. It's the same Jesus of Nazareth by which he tells him to rise and walk. Do you see the impact of the statement? Do you see the impact of it? He's proclaiming this to be in the name of what most people think is a dead man's name. But it's the risen Lord by which this is being done. Why is it done so in the name of Jesus? In Philippians 2, 8-11 reads, And being found in human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that this name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why in the name of Jesus? Because all authority has been given to King Jesus. All authority. All power. He tells the disciples right before he ascends into heaven, when he gives the great commission, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. That is why there is so much power in the name of Jesus. Because he has authority. He has defeated sin and death. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. The verse states that Peter takes him by the right hand and raises him up. Can you imagine, just in a moment, it doesn't tell us. But my mind wants to think, in that moment, this lame beggar is hearing this. He recognizes Jesus of Nazareth. Wait a minute. That's the guy that everybody talked about that died on the cross. That guy is dead. Why is this guy saying this? Why is he telling me to get up in the name of Jesus? Get, rise and walk. I can't walk. Jesus of Nazareth is dead. Why are you telling me that? But Peter takes him by the hand and he assists him to his feet. And I love when we see the word immediately in Scripture. Because you notice the tie-in throughout the Gospels. Every time you see the word immediately, it's because something has happened with Jesus. Remember when Jesus calls the disciples to follow after him? They're out there fishing on the boat. They're doing their life's trade. They didn't make it through the religious system. They couldn't memorize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, so they were said to, hey, you're not gonna cut it as a member of the Sanhedrin. You're not gonna be a religious leader, so you need to go do your daddy's trade. And these guys that are just doing their normal task, they're out there fishing, and Jesus tells them to follow me. And not one account do we see that they say, well, Jesus, I can't do that. Or let me think about it. No, scripture says immediately. And here in this moment, at the proclamation of the name of Jesus, immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. This man experienced something that he's never experienced in 40 years of life. He's able to walk. All because of the proclamation of the name of Jesus. And verse 8 continues that thought. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. Can you see it? 40 years of life not being able to move. He's never put the dots together. He's never been able to step and his feet keep him up. He's never experienced that ever in his entire life. And in that moment of Peter picking him up by the hand, he leaps. And he begins to praise God. And by the way, if you're a visitor here for the first time, I'm sorry, I get loud. But he leaps and he begins to praise God for what he has done. F.F. Bruce in his commentary and by the way if you've never read any of F.F. Bruce's stuff it's so good I'll let you borrow some stuff it's so good. First he practiced standing and when he found he could do that just see this in your mind he put one foot forward and he tried to walk and when he found that he could do that well ordinarily walking seemed scene 200 as a means of progress his exultation must find more vigorous expression so leaping in the air And bounding along, discovering all that his new limbs were now capable of doing, he accompanied the two apostles into the inner precincts of the temple. Nor was it with his limbs alone that he rejoiced in God's goodness to him. The temple courts echoed his shouts of joyful praise. The hopelessness that he had experienced for 40 years of life had been changed in a moment to hopeful joy. Why? Because he encountered the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. At the name of Jesus, things change. At the name of Jesus, life begins. At the name of Jesus, healing happens. If you are redeemed, you've experienced the change. You've experienced what happened in that moment when you confessed with your mouth after repenting of your sins that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you believed in your heart what you had heard, that God resurrected him from the grave. You were changed. And in this moment of physical healing here, don't miss the impact that the name of Jesus does on the spiritual side of things. Bless you. On the spiritual side, people go from death to life. Because of the name of Jesus and what he's done. There is power in the name of Jesus. Secondly, the power of Jesus' name ushers a response. The power of Jesus' name ushers a response. Look at verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God... All the people noticed the commotion that was going on. We just read, and you saw me give an example of leaping. The man is leaping and praising God. It's not quiet and somber in the temple anymore. This man is shouting joyous praise to God for what he has done, and the people notice it. It breaks out, there's attention, it is drawn to this moment. You can see it. You can almost hear it. They're hearing this man yelling and leaping and praising God. Their sights are on this man. What once was a person who never had the attention of anyone, now has the attention of all eyes, and it's because of Jesus Christ. It's not because of Peter. It's not because of John. It's because of Jesus Christ. The last verse for us, verse 10. I'm gonna read nine with it. Don't worry about showing it on the screen, Caitlin. And all the people saw him walking, praising God. Now, verse 10, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. Let's stop there for a second. The people look at this man, they recognize him, and they're like, wait a second. When we were coming in earlier, that's the guy that was sitting out there asking for alms. That's the guy that I put a little bit of change in the bucket for. What is going on here? If because of this moment where they see this, where this man is now walking, they're naturally astonished by the sight that is before them. It says that they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This wasn't a magic trick. This wasn't something that just popped up and happened. It was a sign that God was still at work in the name of Jesus Christ, even though what people thought was dead is alive. They thought he was dead. They're amazed too in this moment. The guy that we thought was dead is the one whose name is proclaimed and just by speaking his name this man can leap and walk and praise God and I want to believe the man was running up and down the place. Just giving God glory for what he had done. Peter will soon give a speech in the next passage that we'll study tomorrow, or next week excuse me. If y'all want to come tomorrow I mean we can do it but he will soon give a speech pointing to the eschatological fulfillments that he references in Isaiah, but I want to read to you something that I think is very fitting to see from Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 6. I would encourage you to read the entire chapter for a full context, but it says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with (coughs) recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute man sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. See, the book of Isaiah, and specifically here in Isaiah 35, it prophesies about God coming to save His people and judgment on those who are His enemies. The Greek Septuagint says, it uses the same word that Luke uses here in verse 8 for leaping. And just for a little tidbit of knowledge, that, that word leaping here that we see in this, because remember Luke is the writer of Acts, I'm not trying to confuse you with a different book. In verse 8 here of this passage, 3, eight, when he says leaping, it's the only time that that is used there in the New Testament. Yet it ties perfectly with Isaiah 35. Why do I point that out to you? To tie in again to you to point to the fact that God's word is living and active. God's Old Testament books all point to being fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Here we see in this moment a prophecy about a lame man that will leap like a deer. And in this moment, at the name of Jesus Christ being proclaimed... We see here in Acts 3 a fulfillment of this lame man, 40 years, of the same old, same old, hopelessness. Yet in a moment, he's changed. He's praising God. Now we'll see next week what happened when Peter addresses the crowd that he gathered. But I want to conclude with this. I think it's a very fitting thing. Kent Hughes is a biblical scholar and he describes what the church today can impart to others after seeing what we've seen today. And I want to share those with you. Two quick things. Healing. Both a literal and a parabolic. We may see people's healed, that people are healed through the prayers that we pray by the power of Jesus' name. We are a spirit-filled church. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And we cry out to God in prayer that he would heal people. James 5 tells us that if anyone in the church needs prayer to come before the elders, they would anoint with oil and we will pray. But it's also not just the physical healing. And God not necessarily always answers those prayers of healing. We have to remember that. But we have seen people healed. I won't say a name, but I remember one woman that, that we prayed for in this church. She did not. And she said these words to me, so I've, I feel confident that I can say this if she was here. She told me on her deathbed. She said, Brian, we prayed for healing for me. And I didn't get it on this side of heaven. But I'm about to get it as soon as I see Jesus. Jesus. We may not see those physical healings, but here's the other aspect of the healing church. We do see spiritual healing. As the church proclaiming, demonstrating the gospel, living our lives, surrendered to the Lord, asking him to use us to boldly proclaim the gospel. People come to faith and they are spiritually healed. Literally, in the blink of an eye, in that moment, they go from eternal death to eternal life promised through Christ Jesus our Lord. The other thing, I put these two words together joy and wonder. Joy and wonder. The way in which, talking about being the church, the way in which we carry ourselves and live our lives tells each other and the world around us something about our great God. If we aren't joyful, we'll give off the impression that our salvation is just lackluster and not worth it. And we all know that is not the case. We must be joyous people. Remember The lame man rejoiced, and people were left in awe. Well, Brian, I haven't had a physical thing happen to me where I've had this example like the lame man. No, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been saved from the pit of hell. Be filled with joy, brothers and sisters, and proclaim it like there's no tomorrow. Because the reality is, and again, this is not guilting. The reality is that there are people that we love and we care for that may not be promised this afternoon. There are people that we love and care for that are lost as can be. And they may not have tomorrow. And good gracious, if the Lord is putting someone on your heart right now and you know that truth, pick up the phone and call them today and say, I know this is a random call, but man, I just got to tell you what I want to tell you about Jesus, period. You can think I'm crazy, you can hang up on me, but I got to get this out. If that means you got to walk next door, and you got to knock on the door and have an awkward conversation at first, but just say, Man, I've been praying for you and I love you and you got to know this. Tell them. You never know what the Lord may do in that moment. But let's be a joyous people that proclaim the excellencies of God and what He's done. And prayerfully, it'll change lives and it'll leave people in awe and wonder. Amen. want to ask you like i always do at the end of the sermon what is the lord speaking to you from this account in scripture today what is the lord saying to you from what is happening do you recognize this awe-inspiring power in the name that is jesus has your life been changed by this jesus If it has, do you have that joy like this man gave the example of today that you're leaping and you're praising God for what he's done? Or for whatever reason, has your joy been silenced? And hear me, if your joy has been silenced, because of the effects of things in this world, remember that the things in these in this world that has affected you, they're temporal, and there's a God who's eternal, who loves you, who has redeemed you, that is with you always. And He's telling you not to be anxious. He's telling you not to worry. He's telling you to cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. If today is a day where you want to know more about what it means to live a life for this Jesus who died for you, then, man, I'd be happy to sit down and talk with you about that. If the Lord is doing something right here and now in this moment, don't let it pass by. Listen if the Father is calling you. When I was in that service this morning with Pastor David, hearing him before he preached, one of the things that he, he referenced, and as soon as he said it, I was like, man, I need to say that for my people today. It comes to this from this passage in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says to, to take my yoke upon you, and I'll give you rest for your souls. If you've already been redeemed, but you're really having a rough time finding that joy, remember the one that gives you rest. It's King Jesus. If you've never been redeemed, there is one who will give you rest guaranteed rest before anything else in this world. And when I say rest, I don't mean just taking a nap. I mean eternal rest. I mean things that the bottle and sex and drugs and financial lies can give you. Those things cannot do anything for you, but continue to lead you down a pit of despair. They may bring you a temporal amount of joy for a little brief moment of time. But they aren't everlasting. They aren't eternal. And they don't give you rest for your soul. Only King Jesus does. So let's take a moment just to quietly reflect like we did at the beginning. Just stop for a moment and just pray and and ask the Father, Lord, what are you saying to me? Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you, Lord, thanking you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that an account that happened centuries and centuries ago can be made so alive for us today in 2021 because of your word being living and active. Because of your word being infallible and inerrant divinely inspired by you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for preserving your word for years and years and years, and you will continue to do so until this world is no more. You are such a good Father. You are our Abba Father. And Lord, I pray for the souls of the people in this room and maybe those that are listening online right now, if there are any right now. Father, I pray, Lord, for the one that knows you, but maybe it's just in a rough patch right now. Lord, remind them of what you have done. Remind them, Lord, of the power of the name that is Jesus and the fact that they have been redeemed. Redeemed. And the fact that they can cast their cares upon you because you care for them. Father, for the one that maybe doesn't know you. And they maybe have tried every single thing in this life to give them peace and rest. But it's always left them empty. Lord, I pray, God, that they would run to you that they would see, Lord, that you truly are the one, the sovereign God over this world who loved this creation enough, although we sent against you to send your only begotten son to die the death that we should have died, taking your wrath in our place because of our sin that separated us from you. But you were so rich in mercy. We thank you for that, Lord. We glorify you for it. Lord, I pray that if it is the day of salvation for someone, Lord, that you would make it clear to them. Lord, that they would confess Christ Jesus as Lord today. Lord, for our church moving forward, as we continue to see how you empowered the early church, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded that the Holy Spirit indwells us and that we have been called by you. To live our lives on mission, to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ so that every man, woman, and child in this circle of accountability around us and in our own lives would have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. Have your way in us, O God, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus, the name that is above all names, we pray. Amen.